So uh, I want to talk to you about you because right now in this room, as far as I know, except for sort of the exception of one person, but not really, none of you in this room is a pastor, right? Except me. Okay, I figure. Okay, so. And none of you is like an evangelist, you know, you, you, you make your living by running around and preaching all over the place. And Okay, and none of you is a Bible college professor, you don't teach theology at the Bible college level. By the way, I see Kingston holding his little boy, Michael, Kingston who played the cajon, you know that he, you don't know this about him, but he does quite a bit of evangelism. Uh, and he's getting set to go to South Africa uh, in the month of October, and quite a quite a, an experienced um, lay preacher, evangelist, lot of lot of experience there. So just letting you know about him and something going on in his life, but he does it for free, so that's not his real job. Okay, um, let's see. So no pastors, no theologians, no evangelists, no Bible college professor. Now Shu Yin. Wong serves in the campuses at InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. She's the Quebec leader. So I suppose we could put her in that bucket, but sort of half and half, right? So like none of you, my point is, none of you work in the clergy. None of you. It's Labor Day weekend. What's wrong with you? You're all supposed to be preachers and pastors and evangelists and missionaries and Bible college theologians, aren't you? But you're not. You, you work in all kinds of different things, in all kinds of different fields, and nobody ever talks about you on Sunday mornings. Nobody ever appreciates the people who work in, let's see, the school systems. Like if you work in the public school system, a high school, elementary school, whatever, something like that, raise your hand. Okay, if you work in, uh, in uh, I don't know, the restaurant, retail, something like that, raise your hand. Okay, good. Uh, we, we do have a person in here, I won't embarrass him, you know what he does? He tests video games. I bet some of you kids want that job, right? That's what he does, he tests video games. We have a person who works for um, the, uh, what do you call the space agency. The space agency here. We have a person. We have people who are retired here. Uh, we have people who work. Yeah, he's waving his hand. He's retired. He said, "Yes, I'm retired. I'll never retire." <laughs> um, all kinds of different things. All kinds. If you all tell your story of where you work or where you worked, if you're retired, people work in uh, the medical field. I see a few people there. It reminds me. Uh, or you've worked in it for years and years and years. Some people work in machinist, whatever, you know, and no one really ever talks about you on a Sunday morning message. And I believe that that's tragic because the truth be told, when you look into the pages of the scripture, you are the evangelists, you are the pastors, you are the people who God has put in a certain place at a certain time to bring the message of the gospel to others. And I think that we have committed a grave error in the contemporary church by elevating the people who get paid to do it, like me, the pastors and the people who work in the clergy all day long, 
who serve churches and who run around and, you know, do great things and do these wonderful things. But that's a very, very small percentage of the population, folks. And the bulk of the population is kind of being ignored. So I want to talk to you about you today. I want to talk to you about the labor that you do or have done and how important that is and how significant that is and how fruitful that can be, even though you may be led to think, oh, well, I just do this to pay the bills, to take care of my family and so on. But the truth be told, I can't stand it. I detest what I do. I will always detest what I do, but I do it for this reason, and so I'm able to plod through life. And, you know, I look forward to vacations. I look forward to Labor Day weekend. I look forward to all these things, but I really do not like my job. You know, maybe you like what you do, Pastor, or you like what you do, whoever you are out there, but I don't like what I The bulk of people, I think, are frustrated and feel like what they do maybe is sort of insignificant in the eyes of God. Uh, and, you know, the people who, who God really uses are the people who serve in the clergy. And I think that that is, is, a, is a mistake. Uh, so I want to talk to you about fruitful labor today and a simple passage of Scripture from the book of Colossians. Uh, the little letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae when he was in prison. He wrote four letters. This is one of them. It's, it's an interesting letter because when you read it, yeah, you really don't get the idea that he's in prison. He's so positive in the way that he talks, in the way that he teaches his church. The prison is almost uh, an accessory to what he really wants to say. Uh, in any case, in chapter 3, towards the back end of the chapter, he's going to give you and me some advice. And this applies to the time and place and culture that he lived in, but it also can transcend into your time and my time today. So really, it starts in verse 15 of chapter 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Verse 17, this is an important one. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, what he's going to do is he's now going to explain this verse and how this verse plays out in different areas of life. He's going to talk about family mostly, but then he'll talk about something else in the back end. And he does the exact same thing in the letter to the Ephesians. In the Ephesian letter, it's a little more detailed, and he starts it by saying, submit to one another. Here, he says, whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, and then he details. So he starts, and I'm not going to get into the details of all these things except the one at the back end. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Relax. I'm not going there, okay? I'm doing a wedding, by the way, this afternoon. 
Uh, there's a couple who normally sits around there, Andrew and Shana, and they're getting married this afternoon at 4.30 downtown. So uh, just so you know, you won't see them for a couple of weeks, but when they come back, it's, hey, you, you kept that quiet. So um, in any case, uh, uh, husbands, verse 19, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Great advice. Children, obey your parents in everything. Ho, ho, and the parents like that one. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Now, here's the part I want to focus on for you for today. Slaves, just hold on, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you, to curry their favor. I like that phrase. Any of you cook with curry? To curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, remember he said that in verse 17, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Whatever you do, as working for the Lord and not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Then he jumps right in to chapter 4, verse 1. Same conversation. Our modern Bibles put these chapters and verses in, but it's the same thought, same conversation. Masters, provide, for your, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Okay, so there are principles tucked in this little passage that can transform your understanding of what you do for a job five days a week or however many days a week that you work. Uh, but you have to get underneath the surface a little bit. Now, I know what some of you are thinking with this slaves and masters business. Um, slavery was the society in the first century Roman Empire. This was the common, common class amongst people. Most people were slaves. That meant that you were owned, yes, you were owned by somebody. And slaves typically were treated like, like property. They weren't, they weren't treated like people. They were viewed more like as property. But slaves, there is, you okay? All right, but but slaves is a little different than modern slavery, at least in our age, in the sense that there were so many of them. Slaves could be school teachers sometimes. Slaves would rise to positions of power within their household and lead things in their household sometimes for their masters and so on. But they were slaves, still the same. They were owned by somebody, that's the concept. But this was culturally acceptable, culturally normal back then, and yet these slaves and their masters were becoming Christ followers and were becoming part of the church. 
And so the question is, well, how are they supposed to behave? Because Paul's appeal here is not to over, overthrow the whole system. He's trying to teach them how they behave in that particular class of life, which was the most common, apart from what you call, I think, the plebs. The slaves were, you know, dominant uh, over the, the, the Roman Empire. So what you can do is you can take this slave master thing and you can pretty well translate that into the modern era as employee, employer, the principles work. So I want you to not get hung up on that slave master word and understand we're dealing with something in that particular time and culture very specific to them, all right? So I'm going to give you three little principles here. Um, no matter what your job is, it doesn't matter if you work in the clergy, it doesn't matter if you work in the so-called secular arena, uh, I, ha I am of the view that wherever you work, it's the same thing. I don't think that people who serve in the clergy are any better than people who don't. Uh, I still uh, uh, do a little bit of work uh, over at the food bank over in Brossard. Been connected to them for like seven years since we started the church. Uh, I have no problem working in the marketplace or working in the ministry. To me, it's the same thing. I know for some people that is a tough pill to swallow, but that's just the way that I'm wired. I, I run the same principles, whether it's the church or whether it's not, doesn't matter to me. Um, and I don't think it matters to the scripture either. So these are going to work no matter what your job is. And number one, God uses people in non-clergy. In fact, he delights in using people who serve all their lives in non-clergy vocations, jobs, and so on. So I'm going to test your knowledge here. Those of you who have been here for like the last three months, we have gone through an entire study uh, that has a beautiful illustration of this. Uh, and hopefully you can get the name of the guy I'm thinking about, who was not a priest. Uh, he's called a prophet by Jesus in the New Testament, but he never identifies himself as a prophet. And he served in the secular arena, highly secular arena, all of his life. What's his name? Starts with a D. Daniel. Yeah, Daniel, I mean, he goes from being a you know teenager, tweener maybe, somewhere in that age, poof right into Babylon. He's an exile in a strange land with foreign gods, totally different belief system, totally different language, right? His name is changed to, let's see if anybody, anybody you Belteshazzar, good. You speak, uh, what do you call, Babylonian? Good for you. Uh, so his name is changed. He's enlisted in the king's service. And this guy serves for some 70 years, climbing the arenas of politics until he's like right up at the top of the food chain in exile, in a totally non-Hebrew environment. He's not in any religious context whatsoever. And this guy is so good at what he does that you see that his colleagues, if you will, uh, in jealousy, 
conspire against him. They can't find anything wrong with him in terms of his integrity, right? This is Daniel chapter 6 and the lion's den. So what do they do to go after him? You remember? They, they say, well, we'll get him on his religion because we know he has this religious thing and we don't worship his God and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna conspire to get him executed and get him out of the way because Darius, the Persian king at the time, uh, really likes him and we don't like him. So we're going to find a way to conspire against him. We'll manipulate Darius and use his ego and they come up with a brilliant plan and of course it it backfires on them as you read through chapter 6. But this, this man does not serve in the clergy. There's another great example from the Old Testament. Uh, another young man, similar wiring to Daniel, and he doesn't work in the clergy at all, ever. He's never even called a prophet, to my knowledge, in the entire Bible. Um, never called a priest, uh, works all kinds of weird jobs. Uh, he's a second to the warden in a jail. He's running his boss's house. He's a bit, bit weird, like weird employment. What's his name? Joseph doesn't serve in the clergy. So you've got examples, folks, of, of people used mightily by God who are not in what you would call the clergy in terms of what they do with their lives. So God uses people who are not in these roles and in these vocations. And I have um, of the firm belief that God wants to use you. And I don't, it doesn't really matter what your, your position is as long as you're doing something that's, you know, ethical. I mean, I would have problems if you were saying, oh, listen, I'm a drug dealer and I'm really good at it, like I would say, well, you got a problem because you can't reconcile your drug dealing with Christianity, okay? I'm not talking about that, but most of you, all of you, I don't see any drug dealers here. Do you? Like, I mean, you, so you, you know, what you're doing, where you are, that's where God plopped you. You say, well, no, I, I wanted to do this, and it ended up here, and this has turned into a disaster, and it ended up here. Can't make any money there, so I shifted here, and I shifted there. Yeah, and you'd think God doesn't know that. God's got you where he wants you to be for a certain time, for a certain season, for a certain place, and I don't know the reasons why. You may not know the reasons why, but he does. And if you will trust him, he will use you even in that situation. God uses people in non-clergy. Whatever you do, he says, Colossians 3.17, um, and, and, and later on in the chapter. Again, whatever you do, you do it for the Lord. So this is not exclusive to people who are doing things in the clergy. Uh, number two, remember the television show? I think it's still on somewhere, Undercover Boss. You know this show? What's this show about? Right, the boss, the leader of the organization, dresses up in a disguise, right? And he goes into the, or, the organization somewhere, maybe somewhere, you know, right at the entry-level position or something like that. And the boss observes what's going on right there. And sometimes it's fascinating because the boss is, like, shocked. You know, they see things that, 
oh my goodness, I can't believe this is happening in my company. This is awful. Or they run into somebody and the employee is like a golden star. And they can't believe how amazing this employee is. And they're struggling to make ends meet. You know, they've got uh, uh, health problems or their family has health problems. They've got a big, long story, a big history. But they are just a gold star in terms of somebody serving in the company. And you see, it's quite touching sometimes how the, the boss will reveal himself or herself at the end of the show. And then, you know, the nice employees, they'll say, hey, you know, I'm going to give you this and this and this. I'm going to, you know, sometimes it's really big stuff. I'm going to buy you a house. I'm going to give you all this money. I'm going to give you this promotion, blah, 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 blah. And, and you see these people weeping, you know, their lives are transformed because they finally got recognized by the undercover boss or sometimes the undercover boss they see an employee and the employee is a disaster like there they should not be working there and the boss has to ooh, has to make uh, some changes and sometimes they make changes even within their whole company they realize their whole company is, this is dysfunctional i'm a boss of a dysfunctional company this is a mess this needs to be fixed wow no wonder da 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 da, da. it's it's a really interesting uh show there's a lot of theology buried underneath that concept because here Paul says, who's your boss? Is your boss your boss or is your boss somewhere, someone else? Your boss, he says, and he's talking folks to slaves here. He says, first of all, whatever you do, you work at it with all your heart, whatever you do, and you don't do this thing where well, when the boss is watching, I'll do my job. And when, when the boss is not watching, I'll slack off, right? And the, the point is, if you are a Christ follower, that's not how you work. And also, and I've heard this before, if you're a Christ follower, it doesn't matter how much money you're making. That, doesn't, that should not determine the quality of your work. So if you're making what you interpret as a very high wage, then you don't say, oh, well, I'm going to work harder because I'm being paid more. But because I'm working for what I think is a very low wage, I'm not going to work as hard. No, Paul would say, wait a second, you are now a Christ follower. That means you work hard, whatever you do, and however much you're paid. Uh, this morning, uh, one of the managers, uh, we we greeted her. She didn't even see it. We had come in early, and and we came into the the theater, and we were greeted by a rather grandiose pile of garbage over in the corner there, of popcorn and paper bags, and you know all of the uh, deposits of a movie theater were sort of shoved into the corner there, <laughs> and big like fairly big pile. You know, and so I went to the manager and I called her by name and I said, uh, how are you doing? <laughs> she said, good. I said, have you gone into number 10 yet? She said, no. I said, well, would you like to? She said, okay. <laughs> and so we went, she knew something was coming and so we walked her in and she looked at it and, you know, her, she, she was shocked, 
right? And because they, you know, they pay uh, somebody to clean, right? They pay a subcontractor or whatever to clean. It's obvious the job wasn't done, right? And so what did she do? She came. She came with a broom. She swept it all up herself, worked hard, worked hard, had a good conversation. Folks, that lady's not getting paid a lot of money, but that was a good ethic that she showed. And that's, a, that's the type of ethic that's being talked about here. So it's not how much you're being paid. It's, okay, who, is, who am I working for? And this is where he says, you're working for the Lord, not for human masters. So God is always there watching you. He's always the undercover boss. He always is watching and seeing what you do and how you behave and how you run your time and how you are with people. He's always watching you. He's always there. He's the one that you are supposed to be working for. Even if you've got a, a total, I mean, I'm looking for words here trying to be kind. Uh, let's see, a very difficult boss. Maybe you look at this text and you say, my boss is like a, like a slave owner. I mean, he treats me like that, you know, or she treats me like that. Like, I can't stand who I work for. And, you know, don't tell me any different, Pastor. Like, you don't know what, who this person is and all of that. Okay, you're in that situation. You say to yourself, wait a second, who am I working for? Am I working for that person or am I working for God? Maybe you sit in front of a screen all day, you know, and you don't really interact with the boss so much. And it's very, very isolated situation. Still, who are you working for? Are you working for whoever that, you know, phantom boss is who you rarely see? Or are you working for the Lord? If you work for the Lord and you have that in your mind, you can be in a difficult work situation and still make it through. You can be in an easy work situation and still make it through. It doesn't matter to you because your boss is the undercover boss. Capital U, capital B, it's God you're working for, not man. And number three, there is a clear anticipation of something in the future here that is outlined for us. So I call it will receive, will repay, which you see in the text here. So he, he tells the people, um, you, you do this, you, you work for the Lord, you're not working for human masters for a reason. What's the reason? Since you know that you will receive, that's a future thing. That's not necessarily a present thing. He doesn't say you are receiving. He says you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. So one day, the undercover boss is going to take you into his office, so to speak, and he's going to say, you served well. Well done, good and faithful servant. One day, he's going to reveal himself just like in that television show, and he's going to reward you. He's going to honor you. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, if you do as he says. If you, you know, follow these the, the very basic things that are, that are 
taught to us here, and this is not the only place in Scripture, but it's clear there is a totally different perspective in a person's life when they realize that their boss is God. And there's something coming in the future. So one day you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. What is that inheritance? Well, that's a word that's used in, in many, many ways in the New Testament. Uh, it's talking about everything from the resurrection of the dead to some kind of reward thing that takes place in the afterlife. Like it's all over the place. But it's a good, good thing. When the Bible uses this term inheritance from the Lord, it's a good thing. And that's why he calls it a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And that's a, that's a great uh, mentality to have when you're out there working. And on the contrary, anyone who does wrong will be repaid will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Now here, he's probably thinking about two things. He's thinking about the, the employee, or in, in his context, the slave, who would steal, perhaps, from their master, who would do something underhanded uh, in their ma under their master's watch and care, we have an example of this in the New Testament, also a letter that Paul wrote from prison, a story of a slave who stole from his master. And Paul had to deal with the whole situation with the master who was a Christian and the slave who was a Christian. Do you know the name of the book? Ah, I've got you thinking. It starts with a P. PH, not Philippians. You only got two choices in the New Testament with PH. Philemon, good, yeah, Philemon, the story of the runaway slave. Probably stole something, ran away. Paul writes a letter, has to, and he teaches about forgiveness. He teaches uh, many wonderful truths in this little tiny letter in the New Testament that Paul wrote at the same time that he wrote this letter to the Colossians. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid. God is watching. He's the undercover boss, and he sees. He sees when you steal that stuff from your company. He sees when you steal that time. He sees when you manipulated that situation, when you did something unethical. You made it. You, nobody, got, nobody saw. Nobody, you didn't get caught. You know it was unethical. You ran the red light. You think you got away with it. And here he's saying, oh, no, you haven't. God sees it, and God will repay, and there is no favoritism. So you're a Christ follower now. You watch how you behave, even though it's easy to cheat, even though it's easy to do something unethical, even though you can easily get away with it, even though the company's so slack. I mean, they don't even know what they're doing. You've got the whole system worked out. No, no, no. God sees God's your boss. He's the undercover boss. And then masters, so this applies to people who are bosses. You've got people under you. You're an authority over people. Some of you in this room are. Provide for your slaves. Again, in context, our context today, your employees, the people who work for you, what is right and fair. And that's not only talking about money. That's talking about how you treat people who you lead, how you treat people who are under your authority, how you treat those employees. You know that the, the stats say that people quit their jobs. It's not uh, predominantly because of money. 
It's not. It's because of how they're treated. It's because when they feel like they're demeaned and when they're demoralized and when they're underappreciated and when their work is undervalued, not only because of money, and they're just kind of treated in some ways like property, then they leave. But when they're treated well, even though sometimes the company can't pay them well, they treat them well. They honor them. They respect them. They value them. They treat them fairly as people. Like you're talking about a context where, again, there was no difference between a person and a piece of property if you were a slave. But here, the, the, the master is going to treat that person like a person. Why? Because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So, boss, you have a boss too. You're accountable too. Your employee works for the Lord, but you're not off the hook. You work for the Lord too. You've got a boss too. And it doesn't matter if you're the top CEO, whatever, the highest thing in the organization or on the team, whatever, whatever. And it's like nobody, nobody is over you. You're over everybody else. No, you have a boss also, and he is the master in heaven. Wow. If everybody operated that way, folks, what a, what a transforming uh, thing that that would be, folks, if everybody worked that way. I'm of the view that when people are Christ followers and they follow the principles that you see here tucked into Colossians, you will, you will stick out to such an extent that the, the people who hire in companies will say, I want the Christians. Tell me your religious view. Are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, I want you working for me. That's the way that it should be. That's the ethic. That's this, this is the, the height of this ethic, that they would say, I want to know whether or not I've got a Christian here. If I've got a real one, then I know I'm going to have a shining star. Tragically, that's not the case. That's not the case, at least not all the time. It should be. People, you, you should stick out like a sore thumb if you are using Christian ethics the way that you work. Before I became a pastor, I worked in, um, in uh, commercial printing. And a totally secular context, totally like uh, there's nothing religious about it. And right from the get-go, right from the job interview, some 30 years ago, some 30 years ago, right from the job interview, I told them I was a Christian. I went to the job interview, fasted and prayed, needed to get a job. We were about to get married, so I figured it might be a good thing to actually have a source of revenue, or, you know, she might not marry me. So <laughs> 30 years later, we're still still ticking. So anyways, uh, uh, go to the job interview, fasted and prayed, went to the interview, and they asked me about my life. I told them I was a Christian. And, uh, you know, it was so big deal, whatever. And, uh, and lo and behold, uh, I went and, the, and they hired me, got the job, and worked there for years and years. Eventually, my wife worked a little bit at the same company, and we had this reputation. We were the Christians. And so we had to steward that reputation very, very carefully because people were watching. The bosses were watching. The employees were watching. Everybody was watching. It was a ministry. It was our church. 
was going to work and ministering to these people. So many excellent conversations, so many times where people were surprised by what they found out that Christianity was. They didn't realize that's what it was. And I remember the time when I went to the boss and I told the boss, I'm leaving. Uh, I'm going to uh, be a pastor. I'm going to work in the clergy. <laughs> he was shocked. He was shocked. And you know what? The whole company there rallied and had this nice little, you know, very touching little get together and all that. And they were like, you know, we're so happy for you because you get to do what you feel, you know, your God or whatever is calling you to do. And that's really cool to us. And so they were really happy. And, you know, gave, gave us a nice send-off and all that. I was in the office on, on the Friday, and I was in the church office on the Monday. Like I said, doesn't make much difference to me which office I'm in. The same ethics apply. Well, years and years and years later, folks, years later, uh, this would have been, I don't know, four or five years ago, I got a phone call from that boss. Uh, her name is Nancy. And uh, she called me, and she said, my brother died. Would you do his funeral? Because when my father died, we had had some Catholic priest do the funeral. He didn't know my father, and he said all kinds of offensive things. And he said, my father's, you know, going to burn in hell and all this stuff. And, you know, we know with you, you're not going to say that. <laughs> Would you do my brother's funeral? He died young, died of uh, liver cancer. Very, very painful, died young. And uh, I said, I would be honored to do that. Well, why would she call me back? Because, folks, there was something that was left behind that tasted good, that was comforting. So she called, and I, when I did the funeral, uh, the, the, he worked in the public school system, was very, very well liked. There was scores of young children there. The place was filled with young children, full of them, and all not Christian people. Nobody in the room was Christian. And so I used the opportunity to talk to them about a servant who this, this man was. I knew him a little bit, and he definitely had a servant's heart. And I talked to him about the servant's heart of Jesus and how this is exemplified in this person who lived this way and so on. I don't even believe he, he was a Christian. I'm not sure. I don't know the details, little details of his life. But folks, it's just an example of how you can be used by God Whatever you're doing, wherever you're, do, you're doing it, God is, has not just put you on a little shelf somewhere so that you can pay the bills. He wants to use you by his spirit, whatever you're doing, wherever you're doing it, difficult as it may be, hard as it may be. Listen, were you a prison warden like Joseph was, thrown into a pit and you know, ended up in a palace and then framed for rape and then thrown into a prison and ends up working in the prison, working his way up in the prison system as a prisoner. Like that's a hard life, folks. You know, were you exiled to a to a place that you don't know, hundreds of miles away from your home as a boy, and and you know, exiled away and renamed and re-educated? Yeah, that's a hard life. That's the life that Daniel lived, folks. Uh, remember what, what the prophet Jeremiah said. We talked about it in the, in the message on, in Daniel. Those people were in exile. They were stuck there for 70 years. 
What does he tell them to do? Overthrow Babylon. Overthrow them. Overthrow the evil regime. No, he doesn't tell them to do that. He says, you go there and you grow up. Go build your families, seek the peace of the land. If it prospers, you too will prosper. You're going to be there for 70 years, whether you like it or not. So you might as well live for God while you're there. And for many of you, that's your story. You're, you feel like you're in an exile job. <laughs> and God is saying, you know what? Seek the peace of the place. Work hard. Work for me. I'm your boss, not this other person. I'm your boss. Work for me. I'm right there. I'm right next to you. You will be repaid. I will honor you if you can hang in there. I will use you. I will use your testimony, your life, whether you're in front of a computer screen or you're in front of 100 people. I will use your life if you will be faithful to me. And that's, that's the message I believe that God wants to give us today, this Labor Day 2023. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to close the service in prayer. Musicians, if you're in the room, you can come and play right away. And uh, we'll just finish up here. Father, I thank you for each person who's in the room today, uh, people who are watching online, people who are going to watch and listen to uh, recordings later. Pretty well, all of them, wherever they're listening from, pretty well, all of them, do not serve in religion. They serve in many, many different varieties of work in different situations with different kinds of people. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would fill each person with your spirit and with power, that you would uh, raise the, uh, the awareness in their own hearts and in their minds that you are right there with them. You are the undercover boss walking alongside them, observing them, trying to encourage them. Uh, Lord, that uh, those who are working in really tough situations and contexts, they're thinking maybe of leaving. They're thinking of throwing in the towel, doing something else. Lord, that you would just comfort people and you would fill people with your spirit and they would sense your love, Lord, and they would sense your presence and your encouragement in their lives, whatever decision they're going to make in the name of Jesus, they would make it with you by their side, O oh God. Oh, would you use people, I pray for people to be sharers of Jesus where they work, however they can do it in whatever way, whatever creative context, they would be sharers of Jesus and the light and the love of Christ would come out in what they do. Maybe they're sweeping popcorn up off of a floor or they are in charge of scores of people. Would the light and the love of Jesus come out and would people be the salt of the earth the light of the world, even as we work in a very non-Christian place, a non-Christian province where religion has been put on the shelves of exile. <laughs> Lord, people can't uh, express it publicly for fear of reprisal and all of this. In the name of Jesus, you would still use people by the power of your spirit to affect lives for the greater good, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.
Have a great day off tomorrow, and I uh, hope you do get it off. If you don't, well, take a deep breath. Remember, your undercover boss is with you. <laughs> God bless you, everyone. Have a great Sunday.